Thanks for listening to Reimagining the Internet from the Institute for Digital Public Infrastructure at UMass Amherst. We're hosting an ongoing discussion with researchers, activists, academics, techies, and journalists about what's wrong with the Internet and how we might fix it. I'm your host, Ethan Zuckerman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Reimagining the Internet. I'm your host, Ethan Zuckerman, at the Institute for Digital Public Infrastructure at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Um, I am here with my friend Hirt John Bohartz, who is the head of digital media at VPRO, uh, which is one of the Netherlands' uh, many public broadcasters. Um, significant for us today, he's also the chair of the Public Spaces Coalition. Uh, it's a remarkable project that's hosted at publicspaces.net. We're going to talk uh, about uh, this very particularly Dutch approach uh, to thinking about reimagining the internet. Uh, here, John, welcome. It's so good to have you here. Thanks very much for having me, Ethan. It's an honor. Well, I, so I actually want to start by, by talking a little bit about your day job outside of the Public Spaces Coalition. What is VPRO? And, and even more broadly than that, um, how does public media in the Netherlands differ from public media we might understand like NPR in the US or the BBC in the UK? Well, um, traditionally, uh, and, and by that I mean for the last 90 years or so, uh, public media in the Netherlands have been uh, organized according to um, originally religious denominations, right? And uh, later on, uh, there were some political affiliations involved as well. So we had this group of broadcasters that were organized along uh, you know, Protestant beliefs or Catholic beliefs or later on liberal or social, uh, social democratic beliefs. Um, secular we, humanists as well, right? I mean, that, that, that's, yeah. that's considered a religion in the Netherlands. Uh, in a sense, yes, absolutely. And, and it's interesting. Originally, uh, VPRO, uh, the, the letters actually stand for something called liberal Protestantism. Uh, uh, there's no really equivalent uh, a British translation, uh, I believe. But um, it was a, a, a group of free-thinking uh, Protestant um, vicars and, and uh, people in church that actually believed, okay, what the Bible teaches us is really to be as open-minded toward life and other people as we possibly can. Having, you know, that as a basis of, of religious thinking influences also uh, the way you think about life and, and politics and so on. Now, in, I think it was in the 60s or 70s or so that, that, we, that we as VPRO did away with uh, this Protestant background. Mm -hmm. But what's been left in our DNA, uh, you could say, is, is this, uh, this, this free-minded, free-willing thinking about uh, life and the many opportunities that, that it gives us to shine, to design, to educate, to do research, to be curious, to really look at the world with uh, as open an eye and open the mind as possible uh, and to investigate but but even within a, a fairly small nation um the netherlands has not just one public broadcaster as as many european countries do it has eight public broadcasters with different positions different attitudes um for me it's just uh, uh such a great exemplar uh, of, of a different way of sort of handling this question of, of what public spaces um, should look like. Um, 
how has that you know sort of led to this idea of of public spaces what is the public spaces coalition what's the relationship between um these public broadcasters and other cultural institutions and and this coalition yeah i think in order to really understand that i, I need to mention perhaps one more thing in, in relation to what we just talked about which is that that these broadcasters eight of them are not only subsidized by taxpayers' money, but they are also um, syndicates. They are also unions, if you will. They, okay. People can become member, right? Mm. And uh, so VPRO is a middle-sized uh, broadcaster in terms of membership, which means in the Netherlands we've got about 350,000 paying members. Mm-hmm. These paying members are people that are that feel some kind of affiliation to our programming and to our way of thinking. So that gives us a very firm base in society and that that goes for most of the other broadcasters as well so when we talk about uh, uh, you know the kind of programming programming that we need to do or the kind of problems that we need to uh, tackle um, we are very firmly rooted in these discussions that we have mm-hmm. within our mo- own memberships and those members are not just members of VPRO they also belong to cultural institutions they go to museums they read they read sure. papers and so on so through those memberships we are able to extend uh, like a, a broad network to other organizations that have like-minded views as ours um, which meant that it was a fairly small step for me to envision okay if we need to think or rethink or reimagine the internet as a space where the public domain uh, really deserves a, a place of its own and needs to be strengthened it was obviously immediately that there was not, not something that, that, that VPRO could do on its own but that we needed to um, you know put in our network and uh, build this coalition because uh, this is way too big a job to take uh, up on our own. Right. So so even with 350,000 members, even with some state support, it's sort of a blend between the American model um, in which essentially our public media are our membership organizations um, and something closer to the British model where there is um, a, a tax and, and sort of providing a steady revenue stream, that there's something closer to, to a hybrid uh, in the Netherlands context. Um, but you were sort of realizing that even given that sort of level of support, even given a lot of people sort of signing off on common values, the ambitions of this coalition were big enough that it it couldn't just be the broadcasters, it actually had to be sort of cultural institutions as a whole. Who, Who are the members of the Public Spaces Coalition? Um, uh, currently, it's, it's mainly based in the cultural sector, which means that there are a number of festivals, cultural festivals, film festivals, uh, music festivals, and so on, a design festival. Uh, there's also institutions for cultural heritage. So the Royal Dutch Library is a member. Uh, Wikimedia Netherlands is a member. Um, uh, some institutions that deal with uh, uh, even with healthcare are, are members at the moment, but our focus is on cultural institutions. Um, and I think that uh, one of the main uh, uh, goals of, of public spaces 
is actually a marketing goal. And it helps mm. that through this coalition, we are able to reach about 90% of the entire Dutch population mm-hmm. of 17 million, right? Because we are so broadly organized and because we are, there are a number of public broadcasters part of it, but also all the large scale organizations, lots of public libraries are, me- are member. Uh, we reach this amount of people. So our potential impact um, is, is fairly large. So museums, cultural festivals, libraries, public broadcasters, sort of, you know, anyone who's touched by sort of the life of the mind or the life of the arts in Dutch society probably has some connection to this. What is public spaces seeking to do? So so you've talked very broadly about this sort of idea of reimagining the internet. What what does that mean um, from your perspective? Well, in the basis, um, I think the Public Spaces Coalition is bound by a common dilemma, if you will. And that dilemma is that most of our members, um, they have this kind of, uh, let's say, uh, ID or um, uh, they have programming that's very, fairly critical of the way in which we um, handle our digital businesses these days, right? I mean, we all become we've become so dependent upon uh, platforms that are not driven by public value but by commercial value. Um, that's fairly contrary to what we purport to be or to tell our audiences. I mean, we're critical in some of our programming of Facebook and Google and YouTube and Instagram and all these, those other big platforms. And at the same time, we're more or less forced to use them because we need, we also have a legal obligation to reach as large an audience as we can. And we can't do that without them. So that's in the basis of very you know, a very, uh, 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 it's a pickle that, that we found ourselves in. And we figured, okay, isn't it obvious that we really need to think about uh, ways in which we can use public infrastructure, public digital infrastructure, uh, to deliver the same kind of functionality that at the present is being given to us or serviced to us by, by, by Google and Facebook and the likes, right? I mean, why is it that for such basic utilities, online utilities, such as, um, you know, cloud-based collaboration or cooperation uh, or discovery and search or uh, uh, even email or um, uh, watching a video, um, we need to pay with our data. This is, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at equivalence in the physical world, it would mean like, you know, going to a public square, but only getting access. If I'm going to show my passport to some gatekeeper and mm-hmm. this gatekeeper then, you know, jotting down all my details and selling them to the highest bidder, which is ridiculous. And we feel in the end, you know, public um, uh, uh, physical infrastructure uh, is organized in a certain way and we should seek uh, uh, equivalence in the digital infrastructure. So that's in the basis what we're trying to, to further. And, and this has um, real implications for your work personally, right? Because you're the, the head of digital for VPRO. You have this challenge of how do you deliver the content that the network is producing and, and you're obligated to sort of reach the broad audience. The broad audience is using YouTube, they're using Facebook, they're using sort of all of these different tools that I, you and I, I think, would both acknowledge 
have business models that we find deeply problematic, have privacy practices that we find deeply problematic. Um, but it's an incredibly heavy lift to sort of think about, you know, how do we create a parallel media ecosystem um, for the Dutch public? How 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 is public spaces sort of taking on just the monumentality of that task, right? It makes perfect sense if we're going to criticize surveillance capitalism, if we're going to build programming sort of criticizing this framework that we're working within, how do we then, you know, get and sort of create the, the different ecosystem? What What is this meant in sort of practical terms as far as building this sort of alternative infrastructure? Um, well, obviously, it, you're right. It's, it's, a, it's a big job. And uh, we figure, well, it took us about 25 years to break the internet and it's going to take perhaps as long to, to fix it again. Mm. Um, I hope not, but, but we should take that into account. Having said that, uh, I think we've got a pretty clear-cut road ahead of us. Um, and it starts by um, uh, inventorying the kind of tools and instruments that, that we are currently using as public organizations. So we've done this exercise for ourselves and it, it, at VPRO. And what we've seen is that, that we use about 25 different you know, digital instruments in all our digital environments and apps and so on. So talking about, um, you know, uh, tools to send out newsletters, uh, to do uh, uh, analysis of our, of our, uh, of our visitors, um, our content management systems and so on. Next up is to uh, kind of score all these instruments, those 25 plus instruments, on the, the five core public spaces values. Right, five core values that that we feel are intrinsic to uh, any sane uh, public digital environment. So you're able to score, for instance, this this new let this newsletter uh, uh, tool on on those five uh, different uh, values, and you see, okay, it scores, let's say, sixty percent. And then you go out in the world and you, you look for alternatives that have a higher score on those uh, five values. And there are plenty of those. Because uh, if, if one thing, I mean, the internet obviously um, is also a very rich source of open source development, uh, highly intelligent and creative people coming up with all kinds of solutions. And it appears that for most of the functionalities that uh, are intrinsic and very essential to, to our digital lives and, and functioning, there are tools available that, that do provide you know, the same kind of functionality without uh, selling our souls and our data to Google and Facebook. Um, what very often is necessary is some kind of you know, design or uh, um, uh, user interface, uh, uh, research phase that really would make these instruments as user-friendly as, as the ones that are being provided by the big commercial providers at the moment. But in the basis, there is a number of instruments and alternatives available. So that's the next step. Um, uh, setting up uh, a kind of, uh, you know, replacement investment scheduling uh, that will tell you over the next five years, that's the kind of the life cycle, the, the, the average life cycle of any digital instrument. Over the next five years, we're going to replace one by one uh, these big instruments by the ones that we feel score a lot better on these public spaces values. Uh, 
And that's, you know, a program that we share with the world. We share our templating for the scoring. Uh, we want all organizations and at least the coalition members of public spaces to do the same kind of exercise. So we learn from each other. We do the mapping exercise together. So we do our exploration of alternatives together. And um, in that sense, you know, piece by piece, uh, we are able to replace um, the functionalities such as authentication or video sharing or whatever by the alternatives that are, you know, much, much more fit to work in a, in a really public environment. So, um, I'm not sure, it, do it, I make sense at all? Do no, it makes tremendous sense. In, in fact, it, it makes so much sense that... Um, I almost can't believe that every public broadcaster isn't just adopting this and, and simply going through this, right? I mean, this feels like just a very straightforward roadmap for this. Um, it feels like something that, um, you know, the BBC could pick up, NPR could pick up, uh, but also, you know, an art museum could, could pick up. Um, the, the challenge obviously gets to uh, actually sort of replacing what you have with, with different tools. G give me a sense, for instance, out of those 25 tools, what are the ones that have sort of come up as, as the most pressing, that are, that are you know, um, extremely contrary to values and, and need to be changed? Uh, I think in our case it would be the tracking tools. Yeah. Right. The the tools that you employ on your on your website and your apps uh, to kind of track what people are doing, how our audiences are behaving, what they are liking, what they're not liking, where they spend more time on, what they spend less time on. Um, at the moment, uh, at VPRO, I'm ashamed to say we still use Google Analytics to a yeah. large extent. Yeah. Right. And uh, Google Analytics is flexible in the sense that it allows you to configure uh, more or less uh, the kind of uh, uh, or the amount of data that you share. So we've configured it in such a way that we share as, as, as little data as possible with uh, Google. We anonymize IP addresses and so on. It's all possible within that suit, but still it's controversial, it's difficult, and we'd rather use something else. Yeah. At the same time, it's hard to find something really as good and uh, as, as, as comprehensive as the Google Suite. Here, John, talk, talk to me a little bit about what are the public space's values? How did the coalition come to them? Because it's very clear that, you know, that's essentially what you're testing all of these things against. You're testing against this question of what are our collective values and, uh, and, and how do we sort of make decisions from there? What, what are those core values and, and what was the discussion that led you there? Um, actually, you know, the, the, the setting out of the core values, uh, uh, account, uh, accountability, uh, transparency, uh, openness, sovereignty, uh, being autonomous, user-centricness, that wasn't so difficult. I mean, we got there in, in like less than a day, I suppose, mm -hmm. or even less than half a day. What's difficult is how you, op you know, how you uh, turn all these abstract concepts into something that, that we can actually work with, right? I mean, that took us two years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, it, it's really, I mean, look at, at you know, there, there have been uh, a number of manifests over the last couple of years that all kind of like are based on the same values and the same premises. Um, uh, look at uh, even, you know, the Declaration of Human Rights, all the same kind of values. Um, 
in terms of 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 our remit as public organizations, uh, we also obviously refer to our own statutes, right? That also confer autonomy, uh, uh, being autonomous, which means being independent from any kind of commercial or uh, political or ideological influence, and being able to come to decisions and conclusions on your own on, on the merits of, you know, uh, your points of view, being editorially independent and so on. Being transparent actually means uh, being open to users in the sense of um, showing them what your processes look look like. Um, be transparent about your motives and about uh, about what you what you're there for in the world, what you're trying to achieve. Uh, being open means um, being um, allowing outside influences to come in and uh, mm. be open to co-creation and uh, to work as much together with other like-minded organizations as possible. Also, um, embracing open source. Uh, because also that that obviously involves some kind of transparency, right? Uh, uh, especially if we are now coming into a new phase of thinking about, for instance, the use of AI in, in media production and consumption. Um, the transparency of the algorithms that you're using is is you know is paramount. It's so important that you give people some insight in. Uh, how recommender systems are being built and uh, on the basis of what kinds of prejudices prejudices perhaps you are you are you are presenting them do, do you feel like your your users are embracing the same values right so so just to give an example on this i would think that one of the big challenges on this is if you move away from a highly surveillance but also highly popular platform like YouTube onto, you know, some sort of video hosting, whether you're doing your own or whether you're finding a, a platform that that is more in line with values uh, than YouTube, you know, do, do the users come with you? Do, do, the, there's certain changes that are fairly easy to make and, and you can make your decision around them. If you change your content management system, it probably doesn't have much impact on the user. But when you get into the actual delivery of your of your content, um, that has real implications for the users. Are, are the users on board with this as well, or is, is that one of the harder shifts to sort of make within this? Uh, I think that's, you know, I, I briefly mentioned it before, but I think that's where the marketing aspect of, yeah. of our coalition comes in into play. Uh, the fact that we, we have such a tremendous reach in, in the Dutch population uh, is, I think, an important, uh, uh, plays an important part in that. I'll give you a, uh, an example. Um, right now uh, at VPRO, we are doing a project. Um, we call it a Monthly Union. It's a, a very rough English translation, but it's actually trying to connect women that are at the same moment in their month, monthly cycle, right? Mm -hmm. And we're making media around that and, and connecting women that are at the same moment in their monthly cycle and uh, engaging in conversations and, and trying to build some kind of community around that. Um, a couple of years ago, we probably have used WhatsApp yeah. um, to set up WhatsApp groups and so on. Now we're doing it all in Telegram. Mm. Uh, so moving away from WhatsApp and perhaps Telegram isn't even the best choice. We, have, we, we could also uh, obviously... I, I, 
I, I was going to say, I actually spent yesterday in a, in a conversation with uh, some scholars at Yale about the, the difficulties that, that Telegram is having with governance, but that, that actually just points to the, the challenges of all of this. Uh, but but yeah, so so you had to to help people shift to a to a platform they might not have known as well. Absolutely, that, that that's the key point, and I, I think what we're seeing is this, it's actually working, um, and. Uh, People, I mean, there has been a shift, I think, over the last couple of months at least, due to some changes in policy that, that have been a bit controversial uh, from WhatsApp to other platforms. So that's helping us. But uh, uh, I think in general, um, once, you know, uh, uh, obviously, especially from the point of view of public broadcasters, we are content driven. And if the content is compelling enough, you get people to new platforms. That's what I firmly believe. I mean, I think Twitter actually got big because of Britain's Got Talent or some kind of show like that, uh, at least in, in, in the UK and in Europe, um, because the BBC was promoting, you know, uh, people voting for their contestants on, on Twitter. So obviously that's more over 10 years ago. So uh, times have changed, but still it points to the power of, you know, public broadcasters and, and compelling content in order to get people to move away. And it's going to be a gradual process. It's not something that we're going to do overnight. Public spaces is not only about adopting, um, uh, you know, alternatives to, you know, present solutions, commercial solutions, we're also about working together to tackle new problems. Um, for instance, right now, we're working within our coalition uh, at a concept called proof of provenance. Um, and proof mm. of provenance, actually, um, uh, you know, its aim is to provide people with a kind of certificate that any type of content that they encounter online is certifiably from a certain source. And it can always retrace the entire distribution chain from its origin to the present location, in whose hands has this content been, what has been done to it, and uh, how are we going to um, uh, evaluate uh, the, um, you know, the, the, the originators, but also the, the editors of the content that I'm looking at right now. Um, the, this sounds a little bit like uh, like non fungible tokens. Please, please tell me that that uh, you're not moving uh, all of Dutch public broadcasting onto the blockchain. No, 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 we're not. Uh, definitely not. No, no. I mean, apart from the you know the the, the philosophical uh, uh, issues related to that, uh, I'd also have a problem with uh, you know the environmental issues, yes, with indeed. governance, and so on. Yeah. Um, no, there's nothing to do with that. It, I think, you know, in, in, in technical terms, uh, we are looking much more uh, at proven technologies such as um, uh, certificates uh, that are mm. being issued by, uh, for instance, um, what's that provider called? Uh, you know, that, that, that provides you with the certificates that you, that you have to uh, ensure credentials on the website, right, HTTPS right. and so, so on. Right, Ser server certificates, HTTPS yeah. certificates, the various different certificate issuing agencies. In this case, that same sort of system, which which basically operates in the background for your browser and says, uh, yes, I'm accessing publicspaces.net and I see that there's a signed HTTPS certificate 
um, from one of those trusted certificate bodies that means that that I believe that this is who I'm talking to and that my my information is not being intercepted. So so this might be the sort of thing where you could click on a news story and get that provenance chain of, of who edited it, who wrote it, where, where it originated? Yeah, absolutely. Um, while at the same time, and I think that's very important to us, um, maintaining some of the uh, some of the key elements of of um, you know uh, internet publishing, for instance, anonymity. Um, yeah. I don't need necessarily you know know who the originator is. I just need to know that it is a trusted source, right? So uh, this is broadly applicable. Uh, for instance, if I'm if I'm running a website uh, which is um, you know uh, aiming to help anorectic girls, and um, you know it should be mainly available for for girls between 15 and 20. I don't want to know who these girls are, but I do need to know it's only accessible to them. So right. a certificate could be issued by a health provider, right, stating that this girl actually is in such a position and she should be allowed access to this forum. Um, you know, solutions like that, we're looking at that very closely because we feel it's an important part of functionality that, that people have come to rely upon. They shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't have to go to a Facebook group to talk about deeply personal problems like that. One of the things that's most exciting to me is this possibility that there might be a European counterweight to these models that have been emerging, right? There, there's the U.S. model of highly surveillant but also highly competitive apps. And, you know, apps tend to do one thing and then they're sort of acquired and, and built either into the Facebook or the Google empire. The other model seems to be the Chinese model where every app seems to do everything, right? You know, you, you build an app to be sort of an integrated ecosystem that does everything from, you know, make payments to deliver pizza to deliver you news. Um, there's occasional outliers in that ecosystem like Telegram, you know, which is, is built by a pair of exiled Russians who might be in Dubai and might not be. Um, but for the most part, it, it feels like this sort of U.S.-China battle. It, it feels like you might have sort of a European pull within this um, that could actually end up being sort of a counterweight to that. Is that the ambition of, of the conference? Uh, which, which, by the way, I'm speaking at tomorrow. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. Uh, Great I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, th this episode will go uh, up a little bit after it happens, but I'm sure there'll be a good record for it. I think it's important to mention also that um, at the end of the conference tomorrow, uh, we're going to have elections in the Netherlands next week, actually. And there is an agreement by uh, a lot of our parties that uh, the next cabinet uh, would need to engage much more in digital policymaking. And there is an agreement what that policymaking should be bound by and the kind of, you know, um, uh, broad agreements that 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 any policy should 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 be based upon, um, and be very you know uh, optimistic that this actually will get a place in in next uh, cabinet's uh, policy making. Uh, finally, I think it's also important to mention, uh, talking about Europe, that that. What we're trying to do fits in a European tradition because we've got a history of 
um, serving public utilities in a way by publicly funded organizations but they are still operating autonomously from uh, uh, polit political influence uh, that's on, under some pressure especially in countries like Poland and Hungary and so on but uh, in, in large parts of Europe in, in, uh, especially in Western Southern Europe it's still very much you know the, the model that, uh, that, we, that we live by and uh, that shields us from political whims and uh, you know the kind of partisan politics that plagues much of American policymaking nowadays um, uh, gives us this autonomy while also ensuring this kind of funding that we need. Yeah, it, it is this moment where the European commitment to public goods, the European commitment to public service that is not the voice of the government, but might actually be uh, a set of enormously diverse voices as, as you're getting in Dutch public broadcasting, but also this notion of cooperation and saying, you know, we don't want the world to work this way. We want it to work differently. And so now let's make a plan and let's actually work towards it. Um, I, I find public spaces uh, just one of the most enormously inspiring projects out there. Uh, I would love for it to be much better known in the U.S. instead of around the world. And, and, and let's hope we can have a small contribution on this. Um, the project is at uh, publicspaces.net. Um, uh, Herr John, it's it's just been uh, wonderful to have you here. I, I just love this project since the first time you, you came and visited MIT and we talked about it. Uh, I've been hugely excited about it and I, I wish you the best of luck with the, with the conference. Thank you very much. And, and you forget to mention that you are actually yourself one of the inspirers of, of, of the Public Spaces Project, because it was an interview with you in which you called for uh, innovative European broadcasters to come up and stand up and, and try to do something about this dominance of, of Google and Facebook that uh, actually inspired me to, to write the very first version of our manifesto. That, that is incredible to hear, and uh, I, I'm not sure the credit's really due to me, but I, I, I will take it. And uh, thank you so much for being with us, and uh, I, this is just so exciting. And, and I hope you get inquiries uh, all over the world coming out of the conference, and uh, I'm going to let you go do the opening. I look forward to being with you at it tomorrow, uh, and thank you for, for being with us on Reimagining the Internet. Thanks very much, Ethan. Bye-bye. Reimagining the Internet is hosted by me, Ethan Zuckerman, and produced by Mike Sugarman, who also composed our theme song. Visit publicinfrastructure.org for more information about the launch of our research center at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst in spring 2021. And please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast.